Neil, I'm pretty sure the Reds just hit another home run. Yeah, first of all, about that, I was sitting around tonight, you know, had done most of the prep for my football game uh, for Saturday night, and then I get a text from Ed, you want to do a podcast tonight? Yeah, oh, okay, I guess uh, I could do one. Then happened to check the red score, and they had just scored, I think, their second touchdown of the game in the third <laughs> inning. And so it's like, oh, so I see what this is about. Ed, he doesn't want to talk racers. He doesn't care about the racers. He doesn't care about <laughs> he doesn't care about John Morant, campaign, no NFL Titans. He wants to hammer me because his Reds kicked the snot out of the Cardinals tonight. Like that was yeah, an they, accomplishment. They really did. It actually. was the Cardinals minor league that they beat. It was. And they're, they were terrible. Hey, look, I'm not going to rub it in. Was it 19 to 2? Yeah. Ended up, final, okay. 19 to 2. And, and jokes aside, uh, we're, we'll score zero in game two. Uh, that's what will happen. Our offense is so hot and cold. Ed Marlowe, Neil Bradley. This is the For Those Who Inquired podcast. I did not bring Neil Bradley over to the house. Well, he brought himself one. But two, I didn't ask him to come over here to gloat. Because one, I, the Reds are, are an outsider looking in at this point for the wild card. Uh, it's been a great season. Uh, too many blown saves, I feel like, there toward the end. We'll say this before we get into the Racers uh, podcast uh, and discussion. I, I was, It was borderline emotional. Uh, and I can be an emotional guy when it comes to sports, but it, I was a borderline emotional moment for me to be at Great American Ballpark last Sunday. Um, I didn't wrap my... When I picked... My mom had access to some really cool tickets, uh, and we were able to take advantage and go catch a nice Sunday afternoon game. It was a great reprieve from what's been a pretty tough you know, news month for us at WKDZ, and it was awesome to go to Great American for a 1240-140 you know, first pitch. Great experience, lovely weather. My knees are still sunburnt from the experience, which was crazy to, to, to feel that in September. But I say all these things. I did not think about when I chose the final homestand of the year to be the one game that I needed to go see, that it might be, just might be. I hope it's not, but it just might be Joey Votto's last at-bat in a Cincinnati Reds uniform, either by retirement or by release and him going somewhere else to his own volition mm -hmm. to finish his career because of his contract. I just – it was a lot to think about. And, you know, I've only known Joey Votto as a Red – you know, I started following the Reds in the early 2000s when Griffey got, you know, signed his big seven-year deal. And then I fell in love with Sean Casey, and I fell in love with all these different Reds players after that. And it's just, you know, it's, you know, on and on and on. And so Votto became that guy, picked up a Votto rookie card, didn't realize he was going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, and that could be argued maybe a little bit, but I, I really don't. I think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. But I, I, I've gone on long enough, but I just – Neil, when I was sitting in the stands and he came to the plate for the first time, the whole stadium got up because it was just like we're all feeling it as Reds fans. You know, this might be it. He has a decision to make in the fall. So does ownership. I don't know if he's in a Reds uniform next year, and I think the stadium certainly felt that. Yeah, and he's one of those guys as a baseball fan. You know, a lot of times teams that – our rivals, you don't like their best players. But he's just not one of those. He's just a good guy. He's good with the fans. It's a good player, a, a great player, has been at times. He loves his opponents. It's and kind he's, of strange. He's just he's just one of the guys that makes baseball better. Yeah. It, it's a great 
experience to watch him play. He plays it the right way, uh, and he's just so well-respected. So uh, hopefully whatever decision he makes, it'll be a good one for him. Well, he's 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 40. Right. He's, he's 39, almost 40. I think he actually is 40. Uh, I could look that up, but I mean that's not that's a that's a minor point. But I mean he's played Major League Baseball for 17 years, all with the Reds and with all the DH jobs. I mean if if he can hit, they'll find a spot for him somewhere if he wants to play. I think if he can tell management next year that he can give you know the Reds 400 at bats, we know that they have a ton of young talent coming up. Mm-hmm. But if he can give 400 DH at bats and let it, somebody else take over first base, like uh, uh, an Incarnacion Strand or so on and so on. You know, maybe put Spencer Steer at first base because, you know, his fielding still needs some work at the corners in the outfield, you know, but you need his stick in the lineup. I, it's a good question, you know, but I think there are some, you know, he continues to be more and more emotional with each at bat, you know, and you could tell he was swinging hard for the fences before he finally got that lead single late in the game that he was, he was trying to hit a home run. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that meant physically or mentally, he was just trying to show he was healthy or physically and mentally, he was trying to show, I want to go out with a bang. Right. And I don't, you know, he's he's playing a little bit now in the in the final series with the Cardinals. He's in the dugout. I don't know what it means for his future, but if this was it, um, you know, congratulations to him. He's he's going to Cooperstown. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Another player that will probably play his final game Sunday will be Adam Wainwright. They hope to, for the Cardinals, pinch hit him if the situation allows it for so they can get that one standing ovation. He pitched him But he's tonight, done pitching. Oh, so he did tonight. But he I would imagine they'll give him Sunday right. as well. But there Sunday is Adam Wainwright day. Oh so man, that's it's, amazing. That's the so day see, they so want to do. You know that. It. Yeah. You know that too. Like I mean you feel yeah. that. Yeah. You know. But he's I, done. I mean it, it's not a he isn't coming back. He knows this is it. Yeah, this is not debating. This yeah. he announced it preseason. Yeah, he did. I, I, and I'm glad you've already brought this up. You and I have not talked a lot of baseball over the last few months, and I understand. The Reds have certainly just kind of been in that teetering mode of are we going to be good enough to contend? We didn't make a lot of moves at the, at the, at the break. You know, where are we? Whereas the Cardinals started out pretty well and then really tapered off going into the summer. And so, you know, I know that the Cardinals just experienced their 90th loss, you know, and that's, that's hard. That, that's a hard thing for Cardinals fans who don't experience that very often. So I like it when the Central is strong. We know the Cubs have been pretty good this year. We know that the Pirates started out really strong. Milwaukee has stayed consistent somehow, uh, based mainly on really good you know, really good break acquisi- acquisitions and, and really good pitching, actually. Um, you know, their offense has been enough to, to kind of keep them going. But I think for me... I can have the same respect for Adam Wainwright. I don't like the Cardinals at all. I love Adam Wainwright. I think he stands for the right things, if that's your thing. I, I, I don't necessarily think athletes always have to stand for a mission or some sort of a goal, but when they are the good guy, it makes them easier to root for. I like Uncle Charlie. I like the fact that he is such a stalwart pitcher. I hated the fact that his final four months this year were statistically the most abysmal in his yeah, life. Yeah, it's really it's rough. And, and it was rough. And then we got a flash for his 200th win. Yeah. A flash of old Adam Wainwright was there. The twinkle, the 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 start, the power, the decisiveness, the fact that he's able to move the ball all around the strike zone. I, I mean, I've always thought he had a little bit of Maddox in him because he could paint the corners so well. That wasn't the case this year. He's really, really struggled. And some of that's velocity. 
You know, clearly when a guy can see an 83-mile-an-hour curveball coming their way, they're going to crank it. And that's where we are in mm-hmm. baseball now. But this isn't the late 80s. <laughs> but I, I feel like I like Adam Wainwright enough that I have a rookie card of his signed, you know, autographed, stashed away. I'm not just jettisoning that to the next red, you know, the next, you know, Cardinal fan. Uh, that's staying in my personal collection, you know, as a card collector. I, I, I pry that. That's a prized possession for my, for me. And and you know, I like to rib Cardinals fans, but I, I'm not gonna rib Adam Wainwright. I, I love Wainwright, and he very much belongs in the Ring of Honor. I think the question of whether he beling, belongs in, excuse me, in Cooperstown is, you know. I, that, that I don't I never know. know about that. That line is ever, that yeah. line is tough. It's tough to make it as a pitcher uh, into Cooperstown. Whereas offensive players, I feel like have a little bit more leeway, you know, as the seasons go on. But I, I don't know. I, I love Adam Wainwright. I, I think he's been such a great ambassador for the game of baseball. Uh, he's certainly a great voice uh, for the St. Louis Cardinals and for the National League Central. And he's always been a clean player. And I've always just enjoyed that. Just a strong competitor. Uh, and apparently is going to be chasing a country music career. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, Did I hear that I've, right? Did I read that uh, right? Yeah. He's putting on a concert, I think, Sunday after yeah, Adam Wainwright Day. I, I've heard him sing a little. And, man, is he is he good at baseball? <laughs> so um, <laughs> You're not a country guy? I actually like some country. I do. I but, do, too. Really bad country. I don't like. Ed. Oh, well. If, if, if yeah, I hope Wainwright's not listening to this podcast right well, now. I, 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 well, well, he's gonna go, take a notch way down if he's listening to this podcast. Well, that's that's. I mean, come he's, on, he's found the bottom of the barrel. Come but on, but, I, but it is funny to say you say these things to forty-year-old guys. Yeah, it might be. We know it is for Wainwright. We don't know for Votto. But right. either way, two guys that have done nothing but gone up against each other. Yeah. I, you know this as well as anybody. Wasn't wasn't Wainwright originally drafted by the Braves? The Bra- yes, Braves, and Cardinals got him in a – I don't remember the trade. You had to look it up, but uh, the, the Cardinals – I'm sorry. The, I, I guess they probably should have been brought up on charges because it was total thievery. Um, I'm going to look it up real quick. But, well, that will give me a second. And I remember uh, Adam, he pitched a little bit one season. The next season they used him pretty much – I think it was exclusively out of the bullpen. They got to the playoffs where this had been maybe 2006 – Something like that. And uh, it's against the Mets. It's game seven of the NLCS. And they are in New York. And there's one guy that just had their his way with the Cardinals every time, Carlos Beltran. He just owned them. He owned them. And the Mets get runners on, staging a ninth inning rally. And the Cardinals decide, let's bring in the kid. Let's bring in the, the youngster, Adam Wainwright, and who steps to the plate, Beltron? And my heart just sunk to my ankles. It's like, this isn't really fair. Because Wainwright, he's a good kid. He's going to be good. Yeah. But he's not going to succeed here. Beltron is going to crush it. Yeah. And uh, the first pitch, Beltron took for a strike. The second pitch was kind of in on him. He fouled it off his foot. And then he got a visit from old Uncle Charlie with hmm. the next pitch, and that series was over, and I couldn't believe. And at that point, I thought, you know, this Wainwright guy might be pretty good. They right. put him, I think, in the rotation next year, and 200 wins, here we are. Yeah. So in December of 2003, this is from a wonderfully written Atlanta All Day article, fan-sided, seven years ago by, I believe it's a Matthew, uh, I think it's S-C-H-O-E-T-T-L-E-R. I'm going to say that's a Shotler. Maybe Shetler. Anyway, 
Matthew Shetler seven years ago wrote about this. Following the 2000 season, the Braves bumped Adam Wainwright up to single A. Macon Braves. Wright spent the entire season with Macon, starting 28 games, so on and so forth. He starts to climb up the ladder. And then in 2003, December, like a Christmas gift, the Atlanta Braves decided to trade Adam Wainwright to the St. Louis Cardinals. And that deal included Wainwright, I believe it's Jason Marquis. Yeah. And Ray King to the Cardinals for J.D. Drew and Eli Marrero. The Braves needed to fill their void in the corner outfield positions, thus they pursued Drew. However, Drew only spent the one season in Atlanta, though it was a good one. Drew posted a career-high 31 homers with the Braves along with a 305 batting average. However, he ended up being a rental because after that he left the Braves to sign a five-year deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers. So, Yeah, he, he had wow. some good years, but in terms of it working out long-term for the Braves, it did not. But if they really got him for just the what the, that was, then I guess it paid off for them. I mean, it relatively paid off because they got the thirty-one homers from from Drew, you know, and traded for him in December. But Drew only stayed there the one year, and that's fine. But, but think of some of those good years they had. What if you'd added Wainwright in there with the division? Yeah, with the Braves, with the rest of the division, just go forget it. We're not even going to play this year. Just. We'll play for a second. Drew played the one year in Atlanta. Okay, and I and we're on a, a slight rabbit hole here, but I think it is worth worth. So here's what they got: they got he was sixth in MVP voting that year. JD was in uh, 2004. 645 plate appearances in 145 games, 518 at bats, 31 homers, 93 RBI, and 118 walks. His on base percentage was 436. I mean, they gave up Adam Wainwright for J.D. Drew, who then ended up retiring with the Boston, you know, with uh, the Boston Red Sox in 2011. And J.D. had a terrific career, don't get me wrong, but what they got the one year of Drew, which was MVP caliber, before he goes to the Dodgers, and actually he didn't even finish that career with the Dodgers. He played the two years with the Dodgers before they traded him to Boston in 2007. So it's... um, It is crazy to think that Wainwright came from the Braves to the Cardinals and then didn't get moved again and put together the career that he did. Yeah, yeah. I think that's I think that's really interesting. What a trade. I didn't realize. I knew I, I was asking you because I knew he was a Brave, but I was curious about the trade. Braves hate that and and infield fly. The infield fly that uh, they call. I think it was off the bat of Matt Holiday maybe. I think that's right. It's a borderline. Maybe a borderline call. It's a right call, but they whine still whine about that. Well, we all we all whine about certain things. I I get to whine about the even year Dodger or the even year not even the Dodgers. I'm West Coast though the even year Giants, who stole 2010 away from the Reds. So, you know, it is what it is. It's uh, but at the moment, oops, good catch. Oh, is oh, no, is is this usable over here? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's, uh, let's put that. Let's do that. Well, anyway, um, the good thing at least at the moment, the Cubs aren't in postseason. Oh, no, they're not. So No, they're absolutely not. Just like you spilling the Sprite, they are uh, blowing it uh, as we speak, actually, um, which is totally true. Neil did just spill some Sprite. But here, we're just, you know, F it. We'll do it live. So walk me through as we go into this weekend, Neil, with Family Weekend. Let's pivot to some Okay. Let's pivot to some Murray we're gonna State. We're going to talk to Murray State We're going we're gonna to wow. talk about Murray State Athletics, but I did want to talk about just a little bit of baseball and how important the season has been. And I, Real quick, Baltimore, 100 wins. Wow, congratulations, the Orioles, AL East champions. Um, unbelievable where they were three years ago to now. 
Um, I remember getting free tickets a few years ago to, I guess, to watch them play and going like, great, the Orioles. And even that day, you go, hey, a couple of these guys are pretty good. Oh, yeah. And well, now here we are. Now they're so. really good. Mm-hmm. I saw something the other day. Uh, Dean Kramer was part of the Manny Machado trade, mm-hmm. and Kramer got the ball for the 100th win. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, good. they're, they're a good team. They're, they're legit. They're a really, really good team. So, uh, again, we are, we are moving into football weekend in Missouri Valley Football Conference. Uh, slate has arrived. We've got the, we've had the week off for Murray State football. Um, what is your first thought? One of the questions that's been asked of me throughout the week is just how important, and I mean, this is a football question, it's any game question, but how important is the first Missouri Valley football conference games? Murray State versus Indiana State, 6 o'clock kickoff. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, pregame, postgame, or whatever, I want to talk more about the importance of the actual game and the debut into the Missouri Valley Football Conference. Um, the Sycamores are 0-3, tough schedule. But, Neil, you and I have a little bit of a difference of opinion here. What is your thought about what this game is supposed to mean in the grand scheme of things as far as it being that first taste of Missouri Valley football? Well, I think it's sort of like going to a new school. You want to make a good first impression. And this is not just a new school. This is the new school. Right. This is the school that at our level everybody wants to be in. So want to make a really good impression. So from that standpoint, I think it's really big. Uh, you're not playing against one of the premier teams of the league. Uh, Indiana State hasn't been. Uh, they're off to, a, to an 0-3 start. They've yeah, had they moments. a couple of FBS teams. Yeah, they have had moments. They've had some, some good moments. And uh, many of the pieces of this team, they lost, they lost by five last year to North Dakota State. They got a lot of these players uh, back, so they're they are fully capable, but they haven't enjoyed a ton of success. So it's an important game from the very first Valley Conference game. It's also probably going to be the biggest crowd we see, at least if uh, the last few years holds true, because it's uh, that game. I think it's going to draw some fans, but also Family Weekend. You have the big crowd, so Murray was packed this evening. It, it was so for those two reasons, it's mega important. Uh, is it the most important we've had in two or three decades? I don't think so. I think uh, the was it the COVID year, the spring year when we're playing Jacksonville State for uh, uh, a potential championship. I thought that was bigger uh, to me than this. But this is this is it's a big moment, but it's only a big moment because it's the first game. To me, that's it. So I, I think I think. I want to. I want to, and I say we only slightly disagree. I do definitely see your point. I do want to pump it up just a little bit more. I do think there is a little bit more gasoline to the game than that. And I, and the only reason I say that is because you've had a lot of what I would consider to be racer football donors jump onto the wagon. Yes. Pump money into the program. You've had your stalwarts pumping money into the program. Don't get me wrong, but. You know, you had this this vision of football that you know that Alan Ward built, and then Kevin Saul built, and now it's Nico Yanko, and it's like, okay, well, I know you don't want to juice it too much, but you're really sitting there as an opportunity to really get started on the right foot, especially off of a bye week, and I feel like maybe unintentionally that does just give it a little bit more juice. I will acquiesce and say that Jacksonville State for the title essentially was more important of a game but I feel like there just needs to be a lot of octane and energy with this game you just can't you can't come out flat 
you, you'd love for your first drive to at least be a field goal. You need it needs to it, it has value. But it you has want that importance. for every game, I, right? And I said that pre, pre pre I said that pre podcast. You're right. You do want that for every game. You want that for Presbyterian. You want that for Bethel. You know, if they came to town you know, or Kentucky Wesleyan. You want that for Georgia. You know, if you're going down to the an SEC opponent and yeah. for a three hundred fifty thousand dollar paycheck, you want your first drive to be good. But I just I I do feel like there's a little bit more. It's momentous. I feel like now I I'll agree. It's it's not the second round of the FCS playoffs or the third round or even you know or even just a playoff game. It's not that hefty. But I feel like tomorrow. You know, and for those listening, you know, even today and later on, if it's like a forty-one-zero loss, that's good. Oh, that would be bad. That would be bad. I but don't it, think but that's it, it would be bad. Happen. It would be bad with any game. Yeah. But I just feel like there's been so much negativity and or let's call it neutrality. Maybe not negativity. Neutrality to uh, we're moving to the Missouri Valley. Whatever. I feel like if it's just a tough showing, then you're going to have all these naysayers that just come out and say, look, we told you, they don't belong in the Missouri Valley Football Conference. I feel like if it's a close game, close loss, or a close win, or big win, suddenly you look at the situation and you say, okay, maybe these guys can hang around for a little bit. That's I think that's why I think it has a little bit more heft to me. I'm not saying it doesn't for you. I'm just saying for me, because of if you listen to some of the offseason chatter – you have either heard people that are like fully on board, like Missouri Valley, Missouri Valley football, let's go, go, go. Or you've heard people say, why are we spending this much time on a conference that's the best in the country and we're struggling to promote the football program? That That's all I say about that, That in my regards. Like I, I feel like there's just a... I don't know. There just feels like there's a little bit of gravity. I don't really know. I mean, I thought we uh, thought we drew really well last year and didn't really have a great record. We had uh, great crowds last season. I agree with that, too. Now we step up into this. I just don't know how juiced anyone's going to be. It's like uh, if you beat Indiana State and go, wow, that was huge. We beat the team pick 10th in the league. That's fair. And we have four top 25 teams, unless they get knocked out, that we're going to play over the next seven weeks. That's fair. Including SIU on homecoming likely still in the top 10 unless they take a couple of tough losses or and something. And I know I know racer fans That's don't, a bigger game. I'll agree with that. And I don't and because of one because of regional rivalry and they're really good. They are really good. And I, I I'm glad you brought that up. I, and again, this is this is where I, I wanted this to kind of go because I think for me you're exactly right about that. I think SIU, I mean yeah, Terre Haute, you know, with the Sycamores Certainly a regional rival in that regard of like distance, you know, you're starting to create that like, oh, hey, we've got the same kind of, mm-hmm. you know, regionality. We've got the same type of recruiting network. I mean, you got, I mean, if you look at women's basketball, you got Caitlin Young right out of their backyard. Yeah. So it's just, you know, and I know that's women's basketball. It's not football, but you're still, you're jockeying for some of the same players, you know, at this point moving forward. And that was even somewhat the case with the Ohio Valley, but you're right about SIU, and I know that this is a racer podcast, but I'm going to give the dogs credit. They are terrific, and we'll talk more about them when we get closer to that game. Right. But that is, that is an absolutely – That's the next home game. After this one, that's next. Well, it ain't going to be long, man, because that's going to be, you know, before we talk about it, 
that I mean that is an absolutely you you hope you just don't get boat raced in that game and you put together a strong effort and um, that's why this one is important. You, you to me you want to at least set a stage. Look, we're going to be tough in every game. You have to start with the first game. That's fair. You, you can't be tough in week two of the Valley because you haven't played that game yeah. yet. Got to look good here and then move on to South Dakota the next week. We talked a little bit, just just a brief few moments about the Middle Tennessee and uh, and Murray State game the last time you and I had our podcast about about two two and a half weeks ago. I just I don't want to go play by play and go through the whole box score, but there were a few things that really really impressed me. Uh, with the Murray State effort against Middle Tennessee State, still had you know, still had a couple turnover issues, but DJ Williams was sacked only twice, didn't and 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 had the one touchdown, no interceptions, twenty three of thirty two, and then the running game. Uh, can you just walk me through where Cortez Jones? came from because he had a maybe the best performance of his racer career yeah it it, it was from a number standpoint uh they you know the team was kind of struggling it, it looked like the racers were going to get thumped kind of like louisville i mean it was a pace to be 56 to nothing something like that yeah mtsu got Down off to a great start 21 nothing pretty quick and the racers had the ball and cortez broke off a 55 yard run and it's the most amazing thing it's like the entire team went oh Okay, we can play with them now. Uh, ended up setting up a touchdown. Uh, they, from that point on, drove the ball well, defended the ball very well in terms of uh, uh, not give up two more touchdowns the rest of the entire game and uh, left points on the field with turnovers. Uh, fumble inside the 10-yard line. Again, leaving points on the field. Right. It, it, it should have been a lot closer game than it was. I don't know that the racers could have beaten middle, but it should have been closer. And that's things I'm sure I, I, when I talked with, the, with uh, the coaches this week, that was a big point of emphasis is ball security uh, and not giving away chances. Uh, if this team runs the ball like they did, if DJ continues to throw and not have the turnovers, I saw a ton of progress with the secondary. They're looking good. Uh, we need the defensive line, I think, to gel. If that happens, I'm telling you, this could be a be a fun team to watch. So I want to just a, just a little bit of offensive analysis here because you, I mean, we know Hood's offense is is pretty interesting. Uh, decent amount of play action, you know. I don't want to say it's even three yards of a cloud of dust. I don't think that's necessarily fair. Look at what Cole Rusk did against Middle Tennessee State. Hey, we're using a tight end. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. So, it, and I, I, I mean, tight ends have had great success like in Murray it. State. Yeah. You know, you take you. I still think of Jesse Blackburn's offensive skill set frequently. Mm-hmm. You know, here's a six three six four guy that you know was carrying around a beer keg on his shoulders and just caught the hell out of passes and was terrific. But you know, I digress. Drink. Um, I wanted to look at the balance of the running game, which we talked a lot about in the preseason discussion here. Kaiwan Morgan has 29 carries. Cortez Jones has 23 carries. Q Jennings has 13 carries. DJ Williams has toted it 19 times out of the backfield for himself. And Jaywan Northington has 10 carries, and he's and, only and played two games. I think he's games. back this week. I think so, And so, told. So that's – I'm not saying you run four, but we talked about this, and I say that Kylan Galbraith has nine carries. Mm-hmm. I mean, in three games. So – you know, there's clearly a pecking order right now, but that's really interesting to me. Racers running for about 173 yards a game through three. Opponents, unfortunately, running for about 206. Um, of course, you have played two FBS opponents, just like 
Indiana State. Then you go to you go to the receiving situation. Another decent pecking order. Jacob Bell, a lot of shorter passes right now, but is leading the team with ten receptions. Hasn't broken off the big one yet. Then you have nine catches for Cole Rusk. Most of that coming against Middle Tennessee success. And then Taylor Shields, Cortez Jones has been really good out of the backfield as a as a pass catcher. You got five catches for Michael Fox, three for Golden Eke, and three for Q Jennings. So that pecking order, you're kind of start starting to see take shape. Speaking of offense, defense, 178 yards passing right now for the Racers through three games. Opponents, 258, uh, almost 259. And again, two FBS opponents. Hard to really shake. Neil, you have already done a decent amount of scouting for Indiana State. 0-3. Their losses have come to... Ball State, Indiana, and Eastern Illinois. Correct. And Eastern Illinois obviously off to a terrific start for their season. What have you seen out of the Sycamores and what do you expect to see uh, as this game continues? Uh, Overall, they looked bad offensively. However, I want to say this. They looked improved against Ball State. Right. That was their best game. Scored their first offensive touchdown. Uh, the freshman quarterback uh, found a receiver over the middle, beat him deep, scored, put points on the board. Uh, they look good at times. They, they tend to shoot themselves in the foot a little bit. Uh, either with a turnover, with an untimely penalty. They're only averaging and, five points per game. And right that now. really kills them. Uh, if that's it. But the point I'm trying to make is they're really successful in getting yardage, but then they will somehow upset it with uh, something on the drive. So if they can eliminate those things, they could put up some points. Uh, they're, they're, I believe, better than their record indicates that they'll be. They also have been undone by injuries. They don't have Cade Chambers. This will be his first game. Will he be rusty? Probably, but gosh, he might not be. I don't know. I uh, threw eight touchdown passes last year once he took over the starting job. Yeah. I believe against Youngstown State. He also ran for four, so he has a little bit of ability to run the ball. Uh, Dinka, uh, coming off a shoulder issue, he's uh, an all-Missouri Valley Conference preseason running back. He's a kid that also should be uh, a guy that they could probably depend on for 80, maybe 100 yards a game. He's still trying to come along from that injury. So they don't have all their pieces healthy at the moment, but uh, who knows? This could be the game that they're looking to break out as well. I'm glad you brought this up. Uh, He was 65 for 146. Cade Chambers was. He's from Maryville, Tennessee, certainly a familiar area if you're a Murray State racer. Uh, you know, it's that's uh, I believe Maryville, Tennessee is. Uh, I don't have a Google map it's in, the up in front of me. Yeah, I've been there. Is, yeah, okay. Had breakfast so, there. So there you go. Okay, I mean it's a familiar area. Is it near Knoxville? It's near Ish. Cades Cove. I know that because I went camping at Cades Cove and we stopped and ate somewhere in Maryville on the way there. There you go. Okay. See, this is this is why I brought Neil to the podcast. He knows he's been to Maryville. <laughs> Uh, but I say those things because uh, eight touchdowns, Neil, right on the money. Not even look, I'm looking at the stats. He's got it right off the top of his head. 938 yards passing, eight touchdowns, three interceptions last year, and that wasn't even a full season of work. Only completed 44.5% of his passes. However, didn't turn the ball over much. And again, uh, 49 carries, four touchdowns. He is a dual-threat quarterback. Uh, and he only threw 146 passes this year. Didn't get, a, like I said, full full year of work. Rating of 112.5. So certainly an efficient quarterback and probably is very happy uh, to be back in the starting lineup yeah. for the Sycamore. So that's going to be – Freshman of the year in a big in a league like that, that says a lot about it. And that and guys are going to be jacked. He's 6'4", 215. Guys are going to be jacked that he's back. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And it's Murray State's family weekend. I'm expecting a great – 
matchup. I know Murray State's favored, but I'm I'm expecting like a, a really really strong matchup uh, going into this game. I say, or is, is Murray State favored? Tenth and eleventh. I I don't look at that kind of stuff for the most part. I don't know. You have I'm going to gonna, up, I'm gonna look it up. I'm going to look it up. But it's one of those situations like you know both teams are going to just be super amped. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and especially now with the Indiana State's quarterback coming back. But they, from here on, I mean, there's a, these are two teams, and we've mentioned it twice already, so we'll say it a third time. They played one game within their own division at FCS. Right. You can't get a great gauge. You're going to get a, a good gauge on them. They're going to go head-to-head tomorrow night, and we'll see exactly uh, what happens. And here for the next uh, eight weeks for the racers, because they've had their bye week, it's eight straight weeks of boom, 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 boom. Uh, and as of right now, there's five ranked teams in the league, and the racers play four of them. The only one they don't play is the top-ranked team in the nation, South Dakota State. Okay, Indiana State is listed as a 7.5-point favorite versus Murray State. Okay. With minus 105 at BetMGM, the best odds currently available. Murray State is a 7.5-point underdog as well to cover this break. Minus, what's the, the, I don't know what that, what's minus 105? Money line, I'm really bad at money I don't line. Know what I am is. the wrong person. I, you know what? We'll get to this later. No, I, I probably. Oh, I was going to say, I probably need to learn uh, how money line works because we now can legally bet. Yeah, can, you can legally bet. In the yes. great commonwealth. I don't plan so, on legally betting. So we've, we've talked a little bit about Murray State football. There is a little bit of Murray State men's basketball news that has uh, kind of crept in over the last couple of weeks. Of course, we're a little more than a month away from everybody's, well, you know, everybody's favorite game, Racer Arena, uh, <laughs> and the and the debut of the 2023-24 season. Of course, everybody really looking forward to that. Uh, we know that that's uh, Brescia. I believe is that right? That's coming in for the for the Racer Arena game. That's, Walk, that's what I've heard. I, yeah, I'm not the guy. Don't you? I don't. Know well, that. right. <laughs> but it is. It is November the first, Wednesday. Yes. Brescia. Uh, time has not been announced yet. At least on in digitally, we, we know that's probably going to be like a six thirty seven o'clock game. But um, going into the big news that was announced this past week, uh, the big news announced this past week was the Missouri Valley Conference schedule. And we know now that on November 29th, Wednesday, of course, time to be announced, probably seven, but, you know, could be could be different. It's uh, it's Bradley in the two games, you know, pre mm-hmm. in the 18 later. Bradley is coming in on November 29th, and then Murray State is going to Illinois State December the 3rd later that week. That's Sunday in Normal, Illinois. So there's your two pre-conference games that give you that wet taste, I guess, before Christmas. Uh, and then, real quick, want to run through the rest of the slate. January the 2nd, UIC at home. That's right after New Year's Day. Uh, so, New Year's Day that Monday. Day after is UIC in the CFSB Center. Then, it's back-to-back road games. Evansville on the 6th. Uh, Missouri State on the 10th. Then, CFSB Center again for Northern Iowa. Then, back on the road again for UIC. Then, back home for Indiana State, then on the road for Bradley, then two home games, Southern Illinois, January 27th, Illinois State, January 30th. You're in Northern Iowa, February 3rd. You're in Nashville for Belmont, February 7th. February 10th is Evansville at home. February 14th, uh, Valentine's Day, lovely, is uh, Missouri State. That's a Wednesday at CFSB Center. Then the 18th of February is Drake at Des Moines. Southern Illinois and Carbondale on the 21st of February, 24th Valparaiso at home, Belmont at home on the 28th. That's great. And then March the 3rd, that final uh, final game of the regular season is a Sunday uh, at Terre Haute for Indiana State. And then, of course, the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament 
is March 7th, March 10th through March 10th in St. Louis. Lots of, lot to go through there. The two big takeaways are the two games you get right away before Christmas. A great Bradley team uh, that's going to be just stacked to the hilt with talent. Uh, and not then as going, stacked as they were going to be, though. No, no, that's true. They're, not, they're still going to be good, they're, but they're not as good as yeah. we thought they might with, be. With Rank Mast headed to Nebraska? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, it's a big change. But um, it, it's one of those situations where now the full schedule is in front of Murray State men's basketball mm-hmm. fans. And I know that that's something that they were desperately uh, looking for. Also something we heard from our friend Jeffrey, Jeffrey Bidwell, Jeffersonian Bidwell, uh, Al, uh, Alden Applewhite is officially redshirting this year. Um, six seven. I, I get it. I took some heat here. I, I called him. I called him the beef when he committed and signed with Murray State. He's six seven two ten. He's definitely uh, an elite, you know, athletic uh, thrasher slasher. I wouldn't necessarily know if beef is the right word. I like lean beef. You know, I'm a lean beef guy. Okay. Um, but jokes aside, he's he's super talented. But he is going to be redshirting this year. And so, uh, just from the outside looking in, Neil. I mean, what do you think that does? Uh, to the front court and the wing areas, because he's the kind of guy that kind of maybe can play a little bit of both. What what do you think that does for the rotation in that regard? I know it's early, it's super early, but I think it's interesting now that practice is open where that you know maybe that puts the racers moving forward. Okay, Ed, um, I haven't been to any practices, and since well, I'm not honestly, fair. since I'm not doing the games, I haven't done a lot of. You probably know more about it than I do, honestly. I mean, I, I hate to say that, but. I really haven't looked at it that much. Well, I, I, I think it's just it's I, I haven't it, taken a huge look at it yet, but I do think it's extremely interesting. The big guys they have, the, the new ones, I don't know anything about them. I mean, I really don't. I haven't seen them play, so I don't know anything about them. Uh, you know, the size, like with, with Sam Murray, you hope Sam's healthy and can be a contributor. I like this, uh, Sam. I think Justin Morgan's going to take a huge step. Yeah. Uh, the the uh, the scoop that I'm hearing from multiple people who have witnessed practices and workouts and things like that, uh, Jacoby Wood, big step forward. Uh, Brian Moore, big step forward. So uh, and then uh, Rod Perry also, he's looking um, very good. So if if that happens, I think this is going to be a team that'll be a contender for the championship. I think they'll be in the top three, top four, but they are going to have to get, if not production from the bigs, they got to get something from them. Uh, rebounding in defense at the very least. You want some scoring inside. Uh, the transfer kid, can't think of his name at the moment, from Eastern Illinois. Nick Ellington. Is making a, a nice impact early on, too, right, from what I hear. Well, and so that that's the reason I even asked you that is you read my mind. I mean, you really did. This was an, This is not a... We didn't preemptively discuss this at all, but I, I'm just you. You look at the height, you know, of, of the team right now, and your top five guys. You know, Alden Applewhite's one of the top five tallest guys on the team. You know, Malik Abdelgawad is six ten. He's the junior college transfer from South Plains CC. Curious to see where he fits. He's got a nice pick and pop yes, and can play yeah. big. Sam Murray is your second tallest player on the team as a sophomore. Gulfport, Mississippi, four star kid. We saw some splashes and flashes from him last year. He's 6'9", 200 now, listed 6'9", 200. McCreer, freshman, of course, out of Woodford County, Detroit, Michigan native, you know, Vince Marrow's nephew. He's 6'8", 190 as a freshman. Don't know how much he's going to play, but he's your third tallest player 
on the roster. And then you have Ellington with Apple White redshirting. Ellington is your fourth tallest player at 6'7 and 215. He is listed as forward. That's all five forwards. And again, I get that Apple White is probably more of the – you go look at some of his tape with Portland and the few moments that he played with mm-hmm. Mississippi State. He's a slasher. He's a guy that got downhill, dribbled the ball from about half court down, could take the ball and get into the you know get into the driving lanes, get easy layups, dunks, made really nice passes when he was doubled at the top, you know near the top of the key and inside 15 feet and things like that. Could could catch a big man or a guard cutting in the backside. You know I think that that's you know certainly something that Apple White would have been able to provide. That being said, with him redshirting. Correct me if I'm wrong, Neil. The last person to actually be a big time transfer and redshirt. I know Patrick Chu just redshirted, but we don't hear. Am I wrong in thinking that Jonathan Stark is the last big transfer redshirt in the last five years? And before that, it was TJ. Did Sap didn't redshirt? Yeah, I thought I thought he did. Or did he? Yeah. I'm just thinking he did. Yeah, so that's what so that's what I'm trying to figure out. I think Stark, and again, I'm only reason I'm and if anybody listening to this was one of those, he he was eligible like after a half season. Is yeah, that not true? That's correct. I think that was it. That's he had right. to set out whatever it was. So I'm of the notion that and I and I'm not, I don't want to put too much heft or weight on that, but your last transfer red shirt for Murray State men's basketball that was of a major impact was Jonathan Stark. I'm not saying Apple White's going to have the same type of impact. Stark ended up being, you know, OVC male athlete yeah. of the year and player of the year and, you know, led the team to a championship. He was phenomenal and, and now is having a great European career. But I do know that the red shirt process at Murray State University usually goes pretty well, mm-hmm. typically. It, it's a time of building. It's a time of trust. It's a time of learning how the team actually works out. And the reason I'm even bringing this up is because it's just, you don't, we haven't seen it in a while. You know, transfers are a dime a dozen. You don't really have well, to redshirt much. Well, they were approving them right and left for a while. They've pumped the brakes on that a little bit, they as have. you've noticed over the last and few he, months. And this is his second transfer in two years. And so, I, you know, from things that I've heard, that, you know, that process of getting, you know, approved. That's the one much more that difficult. they're like, yeah, there's got to really be a major reason. Right. And so, either way, him redshirting, I think, and again, I'm not going to, you know, two years from now, somebody can look at me and be like, <laughs> he didn't do that. But whatever, I think the redshirt process here certainly behooves him moving forward, but it does leave the racers with four forwards, mm-hmm. you know, and a rotation of guards that they're going to play. Of course, yeah. you know, we've heard. Yeah. They're only going to play seven anyway. Doesn't right. matter. Yeah, right. Honestly, doesn't yeah. matter. Seven, eight, yeah. maybe that ninth guy seven. later on. It's, it's seven. It is, yeah. And because it's, it's it's dependability. It's consistency. It's, See, I can say that now. You can say that. <laughs> you know, but you're also right. It is what it is. It's the it's the fight for your life. It's the fight for the minutes. The players decide that. So, if you know, if it's seven, eight, maybe even that ninth occasionally, but you're right, it's seven. Yeah. It's got to be the right seven, but Apple White's not going to be a part of that equation now. So... Yeah. You know, he, he gets to sit on the side and learn. And uh, he's technically a junior, but I do... I'm be- still excited for I him. I do believe he's got two future. years of eligibility. I believe that's correct. Yeah. So that's going to be a situation where he'll be junior, senior in back-to-back years out of Memphis, Tennessee. Really looking forward to that. 
Want to pivot super quickly to Murray State women's basketball, and the only thing I where's that to, schedule? That's what. That's exactly what I want to say. Where the hell? I like, think it was supposed to be released this week. Something, uh, I guess, pushed it to next week. Probably. I, I, they haven't said it's going to be released next week, but I anticipate next week. I'm sad. But it'll happen. Well, that way we concentrate on the the next time we'll concentrate on the women's. We can, and I actually and, and I actually want to I want to mention this very very quickly. You take a look at their roster this year. You and I have already talked a lot about it, but I mean this is a really really interesting senior class. Charlie Settle, Caitlin Young, Happy Hannah birthday, McKay. Charlie. Wait, right. By the way, we, by the way, we do know Caitlin has another year. <laughs> uh, Hannah McKay, Bria Sanders Woods, the hyphenator. And Lucio Aperto, who you know, who's come from Argentina and stayed with the program as kind of like that emotional presence for the team. And so I, I think it's just I, I mean, I think this is a really, really interesting year for women's basketball. Love their schedule. Can't wait to see what their Missouri Valley slate is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, and uh, I'm you, you had the scoop on that. I, I just curious why we don't have it yet. I I do not know. Um, but I will get to see more of their games than I have in a long time because of my situation uh when because usually when the men's on the road they're home and that means i'll be able to slide over and catch a home game so i'm really looking forward to that caitlin young is just so much fun to watch it's going to be weird not having murray high girls out there uh, one after another after another but but it's still awesome i want to i'm i want to just slightly dovetail on that I realized the other day how long I've been watching local athletics when I realized that I had been watching Alexis Burpo, uh, Lex Mays, Macy Turley, even Maddie Waldrop when she was at UT Martin. I had watched, well, the three at the those first three at Murray State. I'd been watching their career for a decade. Yeah. You know, that's when I know, and I'm 38. So I'm sure I started watching Macy when she probably had to be at bed at 930. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, that's what I'm guessing. You're right. I, right after the be game. Like, yeah, be go like, home, you got to get her home. Do your now, homework. Now, go to bed. <laughs> I, mean, I saw her a lot her eighth grade geez. year, and then the, I, that's and that's actually when I started covering athletics in Western Kentucky on a consistent basis. And I just thought about that. The, I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, man, I really did. I watched a full decade of basketball with those individuals, yeah. Lex and Alexis and – you know, and uh, man, with that, and a lot of memories and, with them too. Yeah, I just so it's just stuff. a lot of great basketball, winning and losing, uh, and they and they did a lot of it with grace. So it was just to me, I was thinking about I, I'm I'm 38, 10 years ago, 28. It's just crazy to think that nearly 25 percent of my life I have known them to play basketball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is kind of crazy. One quick note, uh, women's basketball coaching staff uh, does seem to be fully locked in. You've got Turner, Evans, Guffey, Faust, Patrick, Crawford, and Mitchell. So I think that that's – one's a graduate. Mitchell's, Kayla Mitchell is a graduate assistant coach. Uh, uh, Crawford's an assistant to the head coach. Let's see, Brittany Patrick's an assistant coach. It's just it's, – that's, that's, that's as large of a staff as I've ever seen. Uh, for women's basketball, so the assistant cool. to the head coach thing gets me. I mean, that's Marcus Brown's title too. It is because from the office, it is from the he's office. He's not for sure. You know, it's not not the assistant regional manager. He's the assistant to the regional manager. Like, <laughs> come on. I mean, what, what does it? How much it, difference is? There? What does it mean? I don't know, what Rochelle. It means. If you're listening right now, we I need really you to text don't know. Us, what does it mean? I, speaking of Rochelle, I've actually got a long list of people that I would love to have on the podcast. I eventually. Uh, would like to schedule those types of things. I've had some people ask me about, you know, what that's like. Well, one, I've got a decent setup. I've got a decent amount of equipment here. Two, it's it is at my kitchen table. Probably would have to bring the show to them. 
uh, to we make things a little bit easier. We could do it at the radio station. Remember? We could we do it at the radio station at some point, but we are certainly, I do want to do a quick note there, we are certainly exploring the opportunity of, of getting some some more unique interviews instead of you guys just hearing me drone on and on and on. Neil is certainly carrying the show. Oh, so whatever. I, uh, I certainly appreciate that. But a couple more quick nuggets before we head out of here. I know we're getting closer and closer to kickoff. Is the sun coming up yet? Yeah. Have we been going I for... don't know. <laughs> but um, you mentioned this very quickly. You're not going to... You don't think you're going to bet on sports? No. Yeah. I, I bet on sports every year at Ellis Park. You one on, day a year. You bet on the horses. That's it. I yeah. bet on the horses. Yeah. Usually we take uh, the wife and I, I think we take 30 bucks each. Yeah. And we bet. And sometimes we come back with a little money and sometimes we don't. It's just like going out and going to a movie or whatever. But we have big time there. I love it. Well, it's like, it's like I love betting on horses as well. I bet on the Kentucky Derby this year when I happen to be there for the, you know, for the uh, for the Herald Leader, uh, and that was a super neat experience. Really looking forward to you know hopefully going to the 150 next year. But for me, I think I just overthink the process. I have so many friends, uh, and the reason we're mentioning this for anybody listening outside of the state of Kentucky, Kentucky finally has sports betting. Uh, September 7th, it was unlocked well, in person. Well, they had sports betting. Now you can legally sports <laughs> well, bet. Well, yeah, yeah. there you go. Let me clarify, Let's clarify that for you. That's very fair. Okay. Very fair. You're right. There have been people illegally sports betting for quite some time. That's Save the horses, which has been strangely legal. Uh-huh. Uh, thank you, lobbyists. And uh, now sports betting of all kinds is legal yes. in the state of Kentucky. In person, September 7th, and uh, digitally through uh, your mobile devices and your computers on September 28th. So that just happened as we're talking right now, yesterday. So it's a, absolutely a, a big thing in Kentucky. What I was going to say is I I overthink it. I have so many friends that are so talented at betting on, you know, betting on the ponies, betting on horses, betting on games, betting on lines, golf, pick a sport, cricket, you know, whatever, rugby. They're finding things that they can bet on. You know, women's soccer in New Zealand. Good for them. They're good I- at it. I... I'm not good at it. I just, I know it. I know it in my heart of hearts that if I were to put money into an account, I would just watch it disappear into thin air. Mm-hmm. And I would almost rather that that money disappear in the value of an old coin that I bought or an old stamp or a baseball card or something. It's not that I don't think, I think I could make money if I spent the time on it and truly learned how to get smart with you know, consistency and, and lines and, you know, this team's trending this way and this player's trending this way. But I feel like I would just get totally bogged down and then I have an addictive personality. I don't have a problem admitting that. I have I have a very addictive personality and once I get hung up on something like collecting sports cards or coins or, you know, or video games or whatever, I'm just going to keep going and going and going. So I feel like that would probably be a detriment to me. Uh, and I would like, you know, the dishwasher to continue loving me mm-hmm. uh, unconditionally. You know, she already puts up with my cardboard fanaticism, and I use the terms put up very loosely. I'll get a card in the mail, and she'll be like, what are you going to do with that? And I'm like, I'm going to put it in a box. And she's like, that is a waste of money. And I'm like, that is not a waste of money because this card has already appreciated since it's come in the mail. And she's like, well, you are, are you going to sell it? I'm like, well, no. But if I need to, I can and she's just like, well, I need you to. And so it's just, it's funny. It's just, it's a funny, it's a funny thing. Uh, but like, 
you know, I'm constantly looking at card values. I'm constantly looking at, you know, the value of silver and gold. I'm constantly looking at my 401k, which is down the pooper scooper right now. So, uh, welcome to the club. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got a government shutdown right on our, right on the, right on, okay. we're on the heels of a government shutdown. So it's, uh, it's not fun. But I'm just saying all these things about sports betting. I, I'm actually really excited about it because this is a sports hungry state. You know that as well as anybody, Neil. You know, people don't just love the horses. We love college football. Look at the line for Kentucky versus Florida. It's a, mm-hmm. I think Kentucky's a two and a half point favorite against Florida, which is basically a pick 'em. So I digress. Well, I can't that, say right? I'm excited about it, but I, um, being an American, if you're an adult, I like you to be able to do whatever things you want to do. Yeah. As an adult. Yeah. Don't. So as long that's as, that's it. As long as you're not hurting someone else. Betting is not my issue's always been this, Ed, and I know the the legal age is, is eighteen, right? To to walk up and bet. Correct. And on your phone is twenty one because yes. these places won't take anything Correct. unless you're twenty one. Yep. But uh I've always been this, and this is on everything. They need to figure out what an adult is. Is it twenty one or is it eighteen? That's a good question. And if it's if it's twenty one, then no army till twenty one. Yeah. And if it's 18, then that's fine. Let's make it 18. It's a good point. But if, if you it's can, 18, if you, you get to drink and everything. If you 18. can hold your, if you can hold a gun for your country. 21 and 18. Up. I don't care which they decide, but it needs to be one or the other. Yeah. I think that's a great so, point. I'm not sure what that has to do with our sports no, podcast. I, sometimes you and but I that's dive, an opinion. It is an opinion, but sometimes you and I dive into those things, and I certainly, I certainly appreciate that. I, I think it's absolutely uh, a really important fact. Uh, important, important. I'm uh, talking like I'm in this in the <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. Really important. Really important. A um, few final quick notes before we head out of here. Uh, Really excited. Uh, there have been a couple of uh, new tennis shoes announced, some new colorways announced for Ja Morant. He did announce earlier this week that his purple Nike colorway is actually coming this Christmas. Also sounds like it might be right around the time that he is eligible to play uh, the game of NBA basketball okay. uh, for the Memphis Grizzlies. Certainly looking forward to that. Quincy, uh, after three games, Quincy Williams has 23 tackles. Snagged one of his rookie cards the other day for the nice price of $11. Uh, it was, uh, he's got 23 tackles in three games. He's on pace for more than 120 now. The Jets certainly in the middle of a little bit of a flux, I would think, trying to figure out what their quarterback situation is. Uh, the Aaron, you know, the Aaron Rodgers injury, we, you and I've already talked a little bit about it, but I just, you know, the Jets certainly have a lot of hopes this year and being in contention and that defense has been playing really well. And Quincy's, you know, obviously been a big part of it. The main thing I want to quickly talk about to close out here is is campaign's opportunity i think for milwaukee i think the last time you and i podcasted i listed four or five teams that would certainly be in his you know i think in his wheelhouse brooklyn being one of them as well with his former teammates mikhail bridges and cam johnson i think you know they could use a backup point guard as well and he knows those guys those are his friends but milwaukee since you and i last podcasted has made the incredible trade to go after Damian Lillard and have him now. He is now a Milwaukee Buck. He and Giannis are teaming up together. They are reshaping their roster as we speak. Their cap space now even more severely limited. They did flip Drew Holiday in that move. Uh, Drew is expected to probably get traded elsewhere, but it's one of those situations now where Milwaukee's cap space is super tight, and they're going to need a professional backup point guard while they nurse some of their younger guys into that, that role. As a matter of fact, what's crazy, 
One of their backup point guards right now, one of their secondary point guards is Lindell Wigginton, who was a Steve Prohm signee and player at Iowa State. It would be incredible if two former Steve Prohm players both played for Milwaukee. But I, I don't know if it's going to happen. I've been seeing on social media where a lot of Milwaukee beat writers, Milwaukee fans have kind of been calling for it. He's probably one of the better free agent point guards available right now mm-hmm. outside of a trade somewhere. And I don't necessarily think Milwaukee has the draft capital at this point to make a swing for another point guard. Uh, they're not going to be able to afford a $10, $11, 12000000 million guy. And that's no disrespect to Cam, but Cam's value just isn't that high right now. Right. He can go be the 9, 10-point-per-game guy, you know, be on the second unit with Bobby Portis, who's very much in the money line right now for six-man of the year based on how much they're going to have to use him this next year. But I want to say this, and this is where I kind of would love to get your immediate thought. If Cam does get the opportunity to sign with Milwaukee. Let's say that that's a mutual interest. It means he would have backed up three Hall of Fame point guards in his career. Russell Westbrook, who will be a Hall of Famer. Damian Lillard, who will be a Hall of Famer. And Chris Paul, who is could be a Hall of Famer next year if they wanted mm-hmm. him to be. I think that is fascinating. Yeah. I, I don't know why. I, I mean, because nobody ever likes to have a backup. But it's like crazy to think if he signs in Milwaukee, which is leaning toward a reality. I, and again, I, I'm just that's just a hunch. They're gonna they're gonna contend now. They need a veteran presence. They don't want to be bringing a rookie up right now. They they they're ready to get prime years out of Damon and, and Giannis. I, I the idea that he would be a backup to a third NBA surefire Hall of Famer. I know that that career isn't the same as John Morant's, but there is something to be said about being a reliable presence about mm-hmm. three-star players, you know, behind three-star players. I just, what are your thoughts on that? Is that something that's even crossed your mind, or I mean, what are your thoughts on that? You know me, Ed. It's the NBA. and I know. You're not watching to the playoffs. Uh, but, that's basically, and only if the racers are in the playoffs. But so. I want my guys to, uh, to have good careers and good jobs. And uh, so I'm all for uh, – this sounds like a great landing spot. For Cam, if it can happen, it would. I, I, mean, I, I think it's terrific. I'm trying to speak it into existence, but I'm seeing the only reason I am speaking it into existence. Call me a homer. Call me whatever you want. Go on social media. There are a lot of there are a lot of discussion points that after Milwaukee made this move, they're desperately in need of a second unit general. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all Cam did, and he started playoff games. He played against Milwaukee in the NBA Finals. He knows this. It'd be worth a few million to him, too. Yeah. The year. I mean, so, yeah. just for him to be a backup situation guy, secondary guy for Milwaukee, he would be able to go home and say he played with those guys. I, I just, I don't know. I just, I think it's really, really Yeah, but cool. you like being on a team where you have high potential of making a deep postseason run, if right. not a championship. Yeah, that that's kind of where you want. You want, at least want to be that, not, oh, they're fighting for uh, to, to maybe not lose the most games in NBA history. You don't want to be on that team. No, and I th- oh, and think score 20 a game when San something. Antonio traded him and ended up dumping him for salary space, I thought there was a small potential that he would stay in San Antonio, one, because Greg Popovich is one of the greatest vet coaches of all time, and they wanted a vet presence to stay with the younger guys. But two, I thought it was extremely possible because he'd want to be next to Victor Wimbanyama. Uh, but you know, turns out after that quick conversation, San Antonio was like, look, we're going to go younger. 
we know you want to go to a contender. Let's let's all move on and, and be happy together. I do think that would have been a cool union. Uh, I won't deny that. I think that would have been really, really cool just from a premier aspect. Of, I'm glad he's somewhere else. Y- yeah. Yes, cause San and, you, An- and you know the reasons. Well, sure. Well, <laughs> San Antonio isn't going to win a ton this year, I don't think. And I agree with that entirely. He's one of those he's one of those guys that at this point in his career, he's now had eight plus years in the NBA. He certainly deserves an opportunity. He does. After two or three runs now with the Phoenix Suns, he's kind of had those deep postseason mm-hmm. experiences now. And he's been in the NBA finals. So it's like, well, okay, well now he's now he knows he can produce at that level. He's had a few big games in the playoffs. Well, who's going to benefit from that? Mm-hmm. I don't know if San Antonio is going to benefit from that this year. Probably not. I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. They have incredible young talent. Keldon Johnson's you know, career trajectory is on a great path for, for San Antonio and Popovich. I'm just of the notion, and it seems you are too, if Cam goes to a veteran presence necessary situation where we're going to get a deep playoff run, that's where it's going to come. Right. So Hopefully it'll work out for him. I like him. Neil, have fun tomorrow. Uh, have fun uh, against Indiana State, and uh, we will uh, we'll see you soon. News is happening quick, and uh, really look forward to seeing how the fall is going to go. All right. At least baseball season will be done Sunday, so we have that going this weekend. Go Racers. Yeah.